stop here because this is this is the real. <laughs> if you hold that, Tracy. Okay. Um, this is the real deal, Tracy. This is like a, a real mill. We have multiple machines here, Sharon, and they come from all over the world. A lot of them are from the UK, but we're just at the moment installing a new stenter, which is a drying machine that came from Europe, but it works from steam. So we're trying to move away from gas and fossil fuels. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today the detail is at Interweaves Factory in Auckland, the last commercial wool weaver in the country. I'm with Tracy March, part owner and managing director, who contacted me after our recent podcast about the woes of wool. In that story, wool broker Philippa Wright said to me, find me someone who is making money and I'll shake their hand. Well, Tracy says Interweave is making money, though it's not always easy. But I'm here to find out how this company that's nearly 50 years old and employs 23 people has survived when others haven't. So this is basically just a big shed, really. Yeah. How, how big is it? What's the size? Uh, three and a half thousand square metres. When you see pictures or films of mills from the olden days, so to speak, yeah. they look a little bit like that, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, we try and invest in new machinery, but because you know we're in the middle of nowhere in terms of the textile trade being in New Zealand, um, we have to be very self-reliant. So in a lot of European companies, they might have uh, one company that weaves the fabric, another company that wet processes it, another company that dry processes it. We have to do it all, to, all ourselves here, so we're pretty much a semi-vertical company. Okay, shall we move away yeah. from the sure. noisy stuff? Yeah. And where, are you taking me to the beginning of the I'll process? Take you, I'll take you to the warehouse. Okay. So we just go down here and then I'll work through the factory with you so you get an idea of how the fabric throws yeah. through the mill. And how it's old is some of this machinery? Oh. The stenter that we're decommissioning is 1965, I think. So we've got some old machinery, but we've also got some new. We gradually invest as wherever we can. So if you look at our stores here, Sharon, you'll see there's an awful lot of yarn here from Wool Yarns. So Interweave was established about 50 years ago by a guy called Peter Woods, who um, also established Wool Yarns, which is a spinner in Wellington. Mm -hmm. And he basically established us as a conduit for his product to get into the, the marketplace. We're not owned by Wool Yarns anymore, but we still um, are very um, faithful to them and use their yarn whenever we can. Because this is all a whole new experience, can we just describe what we're looking at here? So these are cones of yarn that have come in from Wool Yarns, and this machine is a warping machine. <clears throat> and what happens here is these yarns spun around this beam here yeah. to create a warp. Oh, and then we're looking at the, a huge reel that the yarn <coughs> is being spun onto. And this this big creel then moves onto a beam. You see these, they look like massive cotton reels. Yes. And this yarn is then twisted around these beams and the beams go into the back of the loom and create the warp. So in weaving you have a warp that's the um, vertical yarn and then the weft is the horizontal yarn that goes across. Warp, W-A-R-P. Can we have a closer yeah, look sure. at that machine? This is a bright greeny blue machine. Yeah, so this is the Karl Meyer. So yeah, as you can see, the cones spinning around there through the window. Yeah. Yeah, so they're multiple colours, but there's only 16. 
so and it's much the, easier to work. Some somewhere along the way, that yarn has been dyed to yes. turn into the striped. Yeah, has that been designed? Yeah, that particular so, pattern. Yeah, so that we've been working with one of our customers, and they've come up with a concept. So we work either proactively or reactively. We either go out with designs and people buy them, or they'll come to us with some ideas and we'll translate them into an end product for them. So I just came back from New York a few weeks ago and going out there to show product to um, textile wholesalers. We've sort of managed to sell one to one of the largest wholesalers in the States. So that's really exciting for us. And this is it actually weaving here. So, not only do we make throws and blankets, but we also make upholstery fabric and also um, fabric used in safety wear for apparel. This is beautiful. This feels very high quality to me. Yeah, yeah. So this is a combination of Australian wool in the wool and New Zealand wool in the weft. Why Australian wool? Unfortunately, so there's two different ways of spinning a wool fibre, there's either a worsted or a, or a woolen spun. Wool yarns spin woolen, woolen spun. Um, Feltex used to spin worsted but they closed about 25 years ago. So now unfortunately we have to source our yarn from India but we always make sure it's either Australian or New Zealand wool when we can. Well, will it ever be a time where you can source all your yarn from New Zealand? Or um, not, not the yarn, I don't believe, but we can always try and make sure. I've actually just contacted the spinner in India to suggest that we can buy um, New Zealand fibre in, in the yarn that they spin for us. So that would make it a, an entirely New Zealand product. But we also have a big market in Australia. So, you know, we're, we're kind of covering both ends of the scale with this product in that it's New Zealand and Australian wool. I think that's what people might find difficult to understand, isn't it? It's like sending our logs to um, to China and then some yeah. of them come back as yeah. made up yeah. whatever. Yeah. The same here. It's You know, my, my last podcast was about a sheep farmer wanting to give his wool away yeah. because it had no value. And yet here we are importing yarn that's been made in India yeah. from Australian wool. Yeah, yeah. But you know, this is why we're really um, keen on the whole wool yarn story and we like to produce product from wool and spun, which we only use in the throws, like all of our throws are, are New Zealand wool. The reality is that our manufacturing sector is so diminished, would yeah. that be right? Absolutely. So diminished that stuff has to be sourced from overseas. Yeah, yeah. So here's the clunking of the loom. So this is the weft going across. Yeah. And then this is the warp that was made on the creels over there. As we move through the row of looms, Tracy points out cloth destined for the US or Australia. But they're also processing local farmers' wool, turning it into throws and blankets, then sending them back to the farmers to sell. Some of the looms mass-produce the cloth, others do one-off designs. And, and the people who work here, are they is it a very skilled we job? have to train everybody. Um, there, there aren't any um, textile colleges that deal with um, the technical training of, uh, say, like a loom tuner, who's like a mechanic for the looms. 
Um, it's very hard to find dyers, you know, so everything we have to do, we either have to import people, which we don't do very often, um, but we have to train everybody here on the ground. And we've got an aging workforce, you know, they, they've worked here for years. Hi, I'm Sharon. I, I'm making a podcast about your factory. What's your name? Sue. And how long have you worked here for, Sue? 34 years. What's your job description? It's my job doing the tying. If I'm not here, the company shut down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. can I watch how you do it? Can you talk to me as well? Uh, this one work? here, I open to make it, make it tight. If I make it tight, and it go back this one. Uh-huh. Go back. Now I put it back in. Yeah. It's finished. And then make the knot. See, look at the knot. Do you not each, oh, you, do you not yeah. each Single thread? Thing. Yeah. Each thread you've yeah. knotted. Oh, so my the goodness. Knot, the how long, and how many threads along uh, 4, 000, here? 4,320. <gasps> yeah. So you knot, hand knot. 4,320. Yeah, but the machine, if I do it, maybe take a month. <laughs> but okay, the machine so only takes 10 minutes. <laughs> it's true. Did you train in this job here at this yes, factory? Yes, yes, I am. Do you enjoy it? I enjoy it. You must enjoy it if you've I been enjoy here for this company. They, this, this woman, they know me. <laughs> you know why I enjoy Everybody look at me, I laugh. You test me how old is me. Okay, how old are you? <laughs> you look you look pretty good to me. I'm 73. No. It is. Gosh. And um can I ask you how long you will you keep working for? Oh my wife been asking me, asking me, when your when your mother because they call me my mother is here. Is it? your mother. You just one day or two days. Oh I can't do that because he still miss me to do the job and nobody can do the job. You need to train someone else up to do it. Yeah, I, I trained someone but they're gone. Oh. Maybe not interested or yeah. and yeah. Lovely to meet you so I better let you carry on with your Thank job. Thank you very much. Do you worry about that, Tracy, that there is I mean he's trained someone up and they're gone. Yeah, they they just didn't have the eye for detail that Sue had. So they kept making mistakes and they were taking too long. So we've got another person lined up to suit a train. But yeah, it's all... In. And this is the thing, you know, people don't stay in jobs for 30 years anymore like they used to. So we have to make sure that everybody's multi-skilled and that they can do different, different processes here. Yeah. This is for Queensland Rail. So we weave a lot of transport fabric here as well. And then these are a real story here. These are blankets that we weave for a company called Noah Blankets. And it's a lovely couple based in Taronga who um, have developed these beautiful indigenous Maori designs. And it's been such a success story for them. They, they launched the brand at Matariki last year and they sold about 600 blankets in seven minutes. And this loom is busy all the time weaving these different Maori Jeez. designs. So this is our mending department, in you go. Every oh. roll of fabric gets inspected here and mended, so... Much quieter. This is Nisha. Nisha's been working here for over 30 years as well. <laughs> Tracy thinks I'm a piece of furniture. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm trying to describe what what you're doing here. You're sitting here at a sort of a raised, well, a, a table that's raised on one side and you've got a big piece of fabric in front of you and, and light shining on it. So what are you doing, Anisha? Okay. These pieces, they get woven on the looms and they come in here. We do a thorough check on the perch. If there's faults in them, we put them on our tables and then we mend them. We fix them. We fix everything in the piece. Nothing wow. should be showing. With a needle. With a little needle. <gasps> Hand done. So I'll show you an example. Okay. Hang on. Coming over your way. Okay. See, I've been on and off on this piece. As you can see, there are some skips there. But the, I, have, um, I have fixed all that in okay. the bottom. But have, you've it's, made... See, um, that's all done. Mm. That's all so where this, this um, red, what, plastic tag Me, is... There's a little, you know, something to okay. be fixed. Yeah. So it's all done by needle. It had 19 metres of fault in it. Whereas I'm spending little time, you know, each day to get it done. Why do you switch between them? Because if I sit on one piece, it could take me two days to do it. So I can't afford to spend that time on a piece. I've got to get production done as well. So, so you, you've got constant deadlines, really? Yes, yes. Um, it, it's very fine work that you yes. do, and you must have very good eyesight. Well, to be honest, I had... Uh, Three lasers done and two eye operations. True. Yes. It's, it, it takes a toll over the years, you know. But this is my bread and butter. This is what I'm good at. <laughs> what else can I do, you know? So it, it's not really that. It's just you've got passion for it. You've been doing it for so many years, right? Mm. Um, and you love doing your work. You love waking up in the morning and thinking, going to work. And it makes you happy. So you want to sort problems out. The more complicated, the more pleasure it gives me. What, what has changed about your job in the time that you've been here? Uh, for me, personally, it has become easier. Yeah, but enough, so, to, enough to keep you challenged, enough to keep you stimulated? Uh, yes, 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 but I like more challenges. And one of the things that, you know, Nisha referred to is that, you know, there's a lot of mills in the world that work on the same product, like, for instance, um, a suitcase lining or something, and it's all the same, whereas here, every piece of fabric is different. And have you had to be like that, yeah. you know, to stay open, really? That's why we're still going. You're one, you are the last commercial wool weaver yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. We need, what? A hundred of you, really, to to get through the wool that New Zealand produces. Oh, absolutely, and and all the auxiliaries such as the scourers, the spinners, and we don't have them. You know, there used to be a scour in every town. I think there's two or three now. Well, we'll talk about the process because yeah. you you know you you do go to scourers um, in, on the east coast who've had a lot of problems with the floods. You know, that's been quite traumatic for them. So here we are in the dye house. So and we're looking at lots of big blue barrels. Are there dyes in those barrels? Um, that's probably a softener, so we can put a silicon softener 
onto the fabrics for the throws to make them a little bit softer if mm -hmm. the micron's quite high. Yeah. So in the bottom here we'll have uh, a mixture of hot water and dye stuffs. These machines rotate, pull the dye, pull the fabric through the dye and exhaust the dye so when we clear it, it's virtually, um, there's no dye left in it, it's virtually clean but then we have to filter it obviously. Yeah. Hi. This is Ray. You're, you're the dyer. Yeah, I've been associated with the company for about 40 years, but I've only just started working here. Why I, is that? What uh, have you been doing? Well, I, I used to be the technical advisor and selling them dyes and chemicals and so forth, and and, uh, and now the dyer moved on. So who do you get? There's no training going on in the country, so I've come back into industry. Tell me about your job. What, what exactly do you do? When new colours are required, I, I come up with the recipe to make the new colours. And when the dyings are going through, I put my eye across it to see if it's commercial match or not. Yeah. So you must have a good have to have a good eye. You've got to have a yeah. You've got to have a good eye. So that you can tell the difference, the finest difference between one colour and another, or one and, tone and another. Yeah, and it's very difficult sometimes because different lights will make them flare different different tone, and it's can be tricky. There are no people coming through? No. No, all the universities are teaching girls how to be designers and you end up with a couple of them who can't get a designer job so they come into industry but they don't want to touch the dyeing because it's wet, it's it's got chemicals, it's not quite their, their cup of tea. They don't want to they don't want to damage their nail polish. It's a bit controversial, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy work. Is that? Because you've got your lifting, lifting barrels of yep, yes. around. And you're dealing with boiling hot water it's, right. and, and, and different chemicals. So it's, you know, actually, a female would be better at this job than a male. Why? Well, they're more fastidious. Yeah. And they're, they're more conscious about colours and so forth, whereas, whereas blokes aren't <laughs> so you know, colour conscious. Yeah. Yeah. But all our dye stuffs are uh, metal free, hey? Yes, they're all economic ecologically friendly there's no heavy metals in there yeah well that that is a good point actually people would be wondering how yeah how many chemicals go through here um, how eco-friendly it is and we source a lot of our dyes from Holland and the particular factory that we use is surrounded by fields of tulips so the government are very strict upon you know the environmental impact of all the chemicals and dyes that they produce so we're um, Toy 2, which is Enviromark Diamond accredited, which is the highest standard that you can get. So this is the old Bessie, the old Bruckner, this is the old Stenter. It's a way of drying fabric. So you'll notice where if you ever buy fabric that there'll be little holes on the selvages. Yes. And that's from these pins here. So what happens is the fabric is pulled out to the width that it's supposed to be and then goes through this chamber here, which is a gas gaslit chamber there and that dries the fabric and it sets the fabric. So this is where the phrase um, on tenterhooks comes from. True. It means you're stretched out to your, you know, your, your capacity. Those are tenterhooks. Yeah. And, and this is your oldest machine. This That's is the, the one from machine. the 60s. That was our Achilles heel. So now we've bought this uh, TTM. Tell me why it's your Achilles heel. Oh, it's just because it's old and it can break down and it's just... You can't leave wool wet. 
So we have to make sure that we've got a reliable machine. And, and that must be problematic because, I mean, investing in these huge machines must be so expensive. And also fitting them and the freight. I mean, we bought this, uh, we, it was it landed here after Christmas, and it's taken us till now to get it into a working condition. What is this? Uh, this is a, a new version of the old oh, machine the there, the Stenta, yeah. Where has this one come from? This one came from Belgium. So this used to um, dry fabric for Samsonite, but then when COVID hit, nobody was buying suitcases, so they had to sell a lot of their... How fascinating! After drying, the cloth goes to a machine that shaves off bits of fibre to stop it pilling, then onto an ironing machine. Sitting at one of the 40-odd machines in this factory is Caitlin. So I'm fringing the ends of our blankets, so um, basically plying the um, loose warp ends in the weaving together so that when it goes through the wet processing it felts together and the blankets don't fray at the ends. You, now I have to say you're, you look quite young, <laughs> are you quite new to this industry? I guess so. Um, I studied at Massey University um, in the textiles department, so I specialised in weaving. I was looking into innovative weaving for motorcycle gear, so when I saw the opportunity to work in, <laughs> in actual weaving in industry, um, I wanted to get on board and see what it was like to to scale up the process that we learnt on our um, desktop dobby looms, which is basically the foundation of all weaving, but on a commercial scale. <laughs> Did you ever imagine that you would be in a place working in a place like this? Um, I've done some factory work before, um, but I never thought I'd actually be able to make it into sort of the commercial weaving industry in New Zealand. Like I didn't think that was something that I would be able to get into here without starting up my own small business. Yeah, I don't know, textiles is something that you see everywhere, but you don't really notice it until you understand what it is. After going through up to 20 different steps from that wool on the spool at the very start, some of the final products are on display at the reception. What's the most difficult thing about keeping this factory open and, go and operating Staff. and making money? Staff. You know, finding young people that are happy to work in a factory. So really they have to be passionate for fabrics, they have to be passionate for wool. And they're really the only people that are going to come here and give us the next generation of, of workers that are passionate about the product. There's so many other fibres out there when it comes to fabrics. Like wool is about 1% of all the fibres sold. Mm. When I went to Chicago um, a couple of months ago, I went to a, a, a show out there, which is a commercial furniture show called Neocon. There is so much greenwashing, you know, recycled polyester. People don't seem to consider the actual energy spent in the recycling of the process, you know. It's, is it like remaking the fabric yeah, all over again? Yeah, and it's, it uses a lot of energy, it uses a lot of chemicals. You know, things like bamboo is, you know, promoted as a natural product. The amount of chemicals that you have to use on a piece of bamboo to create a fibre is ridiculous. So, you know, wool's just the best. It's just sustainable, natural, rapidly renewable. It's just a wonderful fibre. And the way it takes colour as well is really beautiful.
Mm, you can see and it. I just see, think it must be heartbreaking for the farmers at the moment when they're throwing their wool away or using it as mulch. It's crazy. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Tracy March and the rest of the team at Interweave. Mā te wā.